Welcome to a special episode of the Impact Nations podcast. Have you ever set aside time to pray, only to discover that you're not sure what to pray? In Matthew 6, Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. It's a great blueprint for prayer, but if we're being honest with ourselves, it can sometimes start to feel a little stale. Today we present you with an audio version of Steve's ebook, When You Pray. In this book, Steve gives us a line-by-line illumination of this very powerful prayer model, and then provides us with an actual example of how he might pray. When you pray, how the Lord's Prayer can empower your prayer life. Ending uncertainty in prayer. Often during this journey I am asked, how do I pray? This is not an easy question to answer. Prayer involves so many facets, meditation, praying the scriptures, intercession, petition, thanksgiving, contemplation, and so many more. Like many of you, these are all reflected in my personal prayer life. However, over the years, the primary foundation for me has always been the Lord's Prayer. I'm in good company. The Lord's Prayer was central in the early church's worship. St. Augustine and Martin Luther both said that there is nothing more wonderful in the whole Bible than the Lord's Prayer. When the disciples asked Jesus how to pray in Luke 11, he taught them what we now call the Lord's Prayer. I believe that in this prayer he gave us a model, an outline to help us. It provides a framework, a track to run on as we pray. It is not intended to simply be repeated, but to discover the depths of meaning of each phrase. When I took hold of this, my days of not knowing what to pray about were over. And though the framework is the same, the prayer never is. So what can we learn from the Lord's Prayer? Jesus gave some guidelines before we ever start to pray. When you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Matthew 6.6 Praying in a quiet place is a guard against distraction. This touches on the core of prayer communion with God. It is interesting that the Greek word for room refers to the place where valuables are kept. There are treasures waiting for us in prayer. David deeply knew this. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I will seek. Psalm 27, 8. Privacy in prayer is about intimacy and raw honesty with God. In the quiet places where we meet Him. I encourage you to find your literal quiet place where you can build a secret history with the triune God. Just going there begins to settle our minds and spirits to meet with Him. Jesus was radically changing the disciples' thinking about prayer. No longer is the temple the central special place to pray special prayers. As we read or recite the Lord's Prayer in its entirety, we are immediately struck with the fact that something is missing. Nowhere in this prayer are the words, I, me, or myself. Instead, throughout the prayer are the words, you and yours, and ours 
and us. Regularly praying through this prayer will help us break free from the intense individualism that marks our postmodern Christianity. No wonder the Lord's Prayer has been so central to the church through the centuries. Jesus has given us a great gift that takes us ever deeper into relationship with Him. It keeps us from getting stuck, always leading us to new expressions of our heart and understanding. As I wrote earlier, the Lord's Prayer has provided a framework that is so multifaceted that day by day and year by year, I have never prayed exactly the same way twice, and I have never run dry on what to pray. It is a prayer that reveals and releases His amazing grace. Now, let's look at the prayer itself. Part 2 Our Father Who Is in the Heavens from its first words, the Lord's Prayer invites me into relationship with God. This invitation is the single greatest gift in this model prayer from Jesus. His Father is now mine and ours. When Jesus gave us the name Father, He gave us our true identity, sons and daughters. He is not like a father. He is a father. From the beginning, this prayer is built upon the truth of belonging, and belonging is the joy of the gospel. By praying, Our Father, I am praying on behalf of all my brothers and sisters, both known and unknown, and to all those who have not yet discovered the truth of who He is. So the Lord's Prayer is a big prayer. This prayer brings nobility to all. For it declares before God and all His heavenly hosts the true identity and value of every man, woman, and child by inviting everyone to call God their Father. The Church Father, Chrysostom, has noted that it, in its radical inclusiveness, the Lord's Prayer removes from our hearts hatred, pride, and envy, for it brings good things to all who is in the heavens. God is our close and loving Father, but He is also the sovereign, all-powerful Creator. Our Father is the Lord and King over all of the cosmos. He is both imminent and transcendent, and this first line of the Lord's Prayer calls me to meditate on both of these truths. Literally, Jesus said, the heavens, which speaks of the ultimate reality that is all around us, not so much a place that is out there, but the greater truth that the heavens, the place of his activity, surrounds us, sometimes breaking in when we least expect it. Often as I pray to our Father in the heavens, my eyes are literally lifted up to the skies. I usually pray in a quiet place outside behind my house. And my thoughts and my spirit are lifted up like King David. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? Psalm 8, 3 and 4. And so I pray. Our Father, what a beautiful way to enter into prayer. Before I ask for anything, before I think about anything, I remember 
I meditate and I declare who you, the Father, really is. Our Father, not impersonal or distant, our reminds me of your nearness, your imminence. Like the Shulmite woman, I am immediately reminded that I am my beloved's and he is mine. Father, I belong to you. But even more, our tells me that we belong to you. For you are the father of all you have created. Whether realized or not, the truth is that you, Lord of the cosmos, have called us your children. There is no one outside of your care beyond your love. We truly are your children. Who is in the heavens, that you, our Father, are the creator and inhabit every atom of the cosmos. It is too wonderful for me to comprehend. You are at once in me and with me, yet equally in the furthest reaches of your ever-expanding universe. How can you be both? And yet you are. The more I consider you as Lord of the heavens, the more I realize that you are unfathomable. You are God, and you are the original source of everything. And Jesus, you and the Father are one. So as I pray, our Father, I am praying to you as well. For by you, all things were created, both visible and invisible. All things created by you and for you. Amen. Part 3. Hallowed Be Your Name This is the first petition or request in the Lord's Prayer. Significantly, it focuses on the Father, not on us. Hallowed is multifaceted and rich in meaning and significance. At its core, it means to be holy. Therefore, in this petition, we are joining with the angels and elders around the throne of God who cry out, Holy, Holy, Holy. From the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, we are praying with the rhythm of heaven. And what is heaven looking upon? God's majesty and his transcendent beauty. Lately, this phrase has led me to meditate upon God's radiance. As Psalm 50 verse 2 declares, God appears in glorious radiance. God's essence is expressed in radiance and light throughout the Old Testament. His presence is life-giving light, Psalm 56.13 tells us. In worship, we walk in the light of His presence, Psalm 89.15. Three times in John's Gospel, Jesus declared that He is the light of the world. Hallowed means to be glorified. In our prayer and worship, we are simply agreeing with the glory that God has revealed. His glory means literally his weightiness or kabod. We are asking God to make his glory more known to us, that his glory would shine in and through us. We are declaring that the great need of the world is to experientially know his weightiness, his glory. We are asking for revelation to be released to the world so that it might think greater, 
truer thoughts of who the triune God really is, like the Roman soldier at the foot of the cross who suddenly had his spiritual eyes opened and cried out, Truly, this was the Son of God. The early church father, Tertullian, noted that when we pray for God's name to be hallowed, we are praying for all those who do not yet know him. In this way, our first petition is also in agreement with the heart of God that all might come to know him. All of the cosmos was created for his glory. When we live in the acknowledgement of his glory, we live in the rhythm of his grace. This is how all of life was created to be. So in praying for God to reveal his glory, we are asking for his deepest blessing to be poured out upon us and the entire world. Note that we are asking God to reveal his glory, not us. For only God can reveal God. This is why, Hallowed Be Your Name, is the first petition of this, the greatest of all prayers in the scriptures. The holiness, the radiance, the glory of God is at the center of everything. As Christostom wrote long ago, we ask nothing before the glory of the Father. All other things are secondary to praising Him. Hallowed be your name. O Father, hallowed be your name. Holy, holy, holy is your name. O my God, let me join with what is going on around your throne right now. Let heaven and earth declare your majesty and beauty. Let me behold your beauty today. You are beyond all my words and understanding. Like the angels, like the 24 elders, I declare before all of creation your holiness, your transcendence, your majesty. You appear in glorious radiance. You are full of light. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are the light of the world. Hallowed be your name. Glorify your name. The whole earth is filled with your glory. Like Moses, my spirit cries out to you today, show me your glory. I long to see and to feel your glory, Father. I am thirsty for more of you. In power, reveal your glory to your church. Let your glory come down wherever your children gather. Let your glory mark us. Let us be transformed from glory to glory as we behold you. And make your name hallowed in the world. Release revelation of who you really are. Everyone and everything was created for your glory and for your beauty. Put a hunger in the heart of the world for you. May everyone come to know you. May your name be famous. May all the earth join with heaven in worshiping you. Your glory fills the cosmos. All of creation sings your name. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Hallowed be your name.
Part 4. Your Kingdom Come. This second petition can be understood and therefore prayed at a number of different levels. The literal translation of this phrase is, Come, your kingdom. It is an imperative, reflecting a deep longing, even a desperation, for the purposes of God to come to pass. As Paul wrote to the church in Rome, For we know that up to the present time all of creation groans with pain, like the pain of childbirth. But it is not just creation alone which groans. We who have the Spirit as the first of God's gifts also groan within ourselves. The early church lived with an expectation that the kingdom of God would break in at any time. The Lord's Prayer calls us to live with this acute sense of anticipation. As we pray, Your kingdom come, our eyes are lifted and our hearts are once again focused upon the eternal things of heaven. We are reminded where our true treasure lies. When we pray, Your kingdom come, we are agreeing with the prophets who declared that Christ would come to bring a new heaven and a new earth where there would be no more suffering, sickness, or pain, where the presence of God would be so omnipresent that there would be no need for the sun, where there would be no more violence or war. Instead, the reign of God would be marked by true justice and peace. As we pray in this way, we are calling God's future realm into the present. At another level, we are asking for His kingdom, His rule and reign, to reside in our hearts. We are both asking and declaring that our will would become perfectly aligned with His will and purposes. We are asking the Lord to conform us into His likeness in every way. This prayer reminds us that God's kingdom is all around us. At any moment it can break in. Therefore, we are praying to be made more sensitive, more aware of the presence of His kingdom, and to live with a greater sense of anticipation. There is a cosmic level to this prayer as well. Your kingdom come reaches to the invisible but powerful forces on the earth, the dark powers that affect government, education, business, and many other structures. We are praying that these dark powers would be exposed and displaced, that they would come under the authority of Christ. We are praying your government come, true authority, true righteousness, justice, and mercy. In prayer, nothing is lost, nothing is wasted. Our prayers really do fill the golden bowls of revelation. And there comes a day when the longings and declarations of our heart are poured out, releasing the eternal purposes of God. Three small words, your kingdom come. They call upon the reality and power of heaven to come down. They open our hearts for God to work in each of us. And they do battle against the powers that be, thus affecting the world and the cosmos. Prayer is not simply a Christian activity, something we do because, as believers, we're expected to pray. No, this second petition calls us up into God's greater story. It awakens heart, 
mind, and spirit to the magnificent, unstoppable, and eternal purposes of God. Has there ever been a greater purpose or a greater invitation? Come, your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Father, let your kingdom come to me and around me. Let it come with a whole new reality, a new intensity. I want to live with a greater sense of heaven, your eternal realm that exists outside the bounds of time. It is all that will last. It is all that really matters. Lift the eyes of my spirit. Awaken in me a sensitivity to the great reality of your kingdom. Let me live with a new alertness to you and all that you are doing. Create in me a deeper longing for you than I have ever known. Let your kingdom come. We long for you to come with your righteousness, your justice, and your mercy. Rescue the oppressed. Bring the tangible reality of your kingdom to the lonely, the poor, the outcast. Let justice flow like a river and your righteousness like a never-ending stream. There will be a day when you restore all that was lost so long ago. There will be a day of perfect peace, of no more sickness or sorrow. Let that day come soon, Lord. Let your kingdom come in power. Let us, your children, be your hands and feet to bring healing and wholeness to our world. Let us receive more and more of the reality and the joy of your kingdom. And from that place, give away what we have received to the world around us. We join with your church through the ages and we cry out, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. You said that there would be no end to the increase of your government. We need your true government. Let your light expose the dark powers that influence, inflame, and control what is worst in our governments, businesses, schools, and every power structure. Come, your kingdom. Bring your truth and freedom. Expose and displace every evil influence. Lord, expose the evil in our hearts. Forgive and cleanse us. Let your peace rule on the earth. Help us to cling to you. Keep us from double-mindedness. Let our eyes be fixed upon you and you alone. Come, your kingdom. Part 5. Your will be done on earth as it is in the heavens. This is the third petition. Note the period after your kingdom come. This is both a cry for the reality of heaven to come to us and an embracing of and fellowship with the whole world. Your will be done. What is the will of God? The Lord's Prayer is placed at the middle point of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he has already revealed the Father's will, blessings upon the poor in spirit, the merciful, and those who are mourning. His will is that we be the salt and light that brings hope to the world. He desires that we live with deep respect for people, that we learn to walk in true humility and with purity of heart, 
Your will be done is a cry for his saving will to intervene and rescue in our lives and in the world around us. It is a longing for his will to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. This is not a passive prayer. It is a fervent cry for God to break in, for the glorious desire and plan of his heart to be released upon the earth. On earth as it is in the heavens. Note that the heavens is a more literal and I believe accurate translation. It speaks of the heavens which is the realm of the triune God and of all the heavenly host that surround us. Though invisible, the heavens are the ultimate and eternal reality, a reality that continues to break in upon our earthly realm. On earth lifts my prayers beyond my personal concerns, and there is nothing wrong with these. They please the Father. They reflect childlike faith. But on earth calls me up to God's greater purposes for the world and the cosmos reminding me that I am part of his greater story. This prayer prompts me to search out his activity in the wider world and to hold the world in my heart. As it is in the heavens, in this prayer we are reminded that life is more than what we see with our natural perception. We live in a world that constantly seeks, under the influence of the powers, to pull us down to the material level. Our enemy wants us thinking, living, and even praying strictly in the known realm. Yet the scriptures constantly call us to lift up our eyes and to perceive with spiritual eyes. This third petition reminds me of the greater reality. It also gives us Jesus' standards for life and faith. He demonstrated what it means to live as it is in the heavens right now. Everywhere he went, Jesus brought rescue, reconciliation, and restoration to people. Heaven now. Romans 14.17 gives us a clear definition of the kingdom of God, the activity of heaven. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Conversely, this prayer tells us that if something is not going on in the heavens, like hate, violence, oppression, it should not be going on here. This is a prayer of alignment with the great purposes of God. This is a prayer that expands our horizons. Your will be done on earth as it is in the heavens. O oh, Father, make your will known throughout the earth. Reveal and release your desire and purpose for your creation. Let us live in the righteousness, peace, and joy of your perfect will. You are a good Father, and today I declare your goodness. I celebrate your goodness upon the earth. Increase my faith. Help me to lift up my eyes and see how great, how beautiful is your work here on the earth. Increase my heart to truly care and to carry what you care about, the rescue, reconciliation, and restoration of all that you have created. And please, Lord, intervene in all that is not reflected in heaven. 
We repent for the violence, the injustice and oppression on the earth. Cleanse our hearts, change our motives, reveal your will, your compassion, your holiness. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, capture my heart anew today. Give me a deep desire to follow you, to seek out your desires, to long to be more like you. Teach me to bring heaven now to the world around me. Fill me afresh today so that I can give what I receive to others. Let me fall in love with you all over again today. More of you. Yes, more of you. Part 6. Now we come to the second half of the Lord's Prayer. Here, us, our, and we are as prominent as you and yours were in the first half. This reflects the twofold command of Jesus in Matthew 22 to love God and love people. The shift to us is a reminder to be inclusive in our prayers. It is important to see that when the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray, he gives equal time to both human matters and heavenly ones. This second section teaches that it is not selfish or unspiritual to pray about social and economic needs as well as personal ones. Give us today our daily bread. For too many years I ignored the us and made this about my personal needs. In fact, too often I prayed about my wants more than my needs. In this, I was reflecting the strong individualism of the modern and postmodern Christianity that is so prevalent in the Western Church. But this fourth petition is so much bigger, more powerful, and more in line with God's greater story for mankind. This prayer connects me with the men, women, and children of the developing world. First of all, this is a prayer for bread. Jesus puts literal food before spiritual food. If Jesus cared about 5,000 hungry people enough to feed them, wouldn't he want us to pray for the feeding of billions of hungry people? This prayer reminds me that I live in a time when 50% of the world's population must survive on less than $2 a day. This prayer awakens my conscience. It helps propel me forward to take action as a response to my own prayer. This is prayer that lifts me from the sphere of my own preferences to the basic necessities of life that so many are lacking. Martin Luther said that when we pray for bread, we are praying for everything necessary for life. To acquire bread, money is needed. To acquire money, employment is needed. In turn, this requires good government, good business, and good labor. Give us today injects urgency into my prayer. It reminds me of my own daily dependency upon God. In their daily experience, the poor encounter a God who intervenes on their behalf to provide. For the rest of us, this petition reminds us of our dependence and thereby gives rise to thankfulness 
toward a loving Father. This fourth petition reminds us daily of inequality and injustice, bringing to mind the words of Jesus, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? We are reminded to pray for guidance, wisdom, and strategies on behalf of the poor, and to intercede on behalf of all those who feed and care for the needy in the world. It has been said that we live in the time of the fourth petition. This is a prayer for social justice, and the Lord loves justice. Like the previous petition, this prayer calls us up to a wider, greater perspective. This is a prayer that enlarges our spirits and our minds and quickens our conscience to agree with the compassionate purposes of the Lord. Give us today our daily bread. Before I pray for my own needs, stir in me today your heart of compassion for the hungry and the needy of the world. Though I can hardly conceive of the billions of people who are without food today, you see every one of them, every hungry child. You see every hurting mother, desperate to find a way to feed her babies. You see every parent wrestling with guilt, fear, and anger over the never-ending poverty that has gripped them for so long. Please, Lord, let me feel what you feel. Forgive us, your church, where we've turned a blind eye, where we've walked by the hurting one on the side of the road. Forgive us for not doing everything we can for your precious poor and hungry ones. In a world with millions of slaves, set the captives free. We confess that we are complicit in this through our reckless consumerism. Release powerful, effective, and creative strategies to bring true hope and change to the poor of the world. Oh, Father, raise up righteous and compassionate government and strong, fair, business practices. Touch the very fabric of our society. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, remind me today of my true situation, that I am wholly dependent upon your mercy and goodness toward me. Let me live with gratefulness today. It is only by your grace that today I don't have to wonder where my next meal will come from, or where I will sleep tonight. Never let me take these wonderful mercies for granted. Thank you for your loving kindness to me. Part 7 Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. This, the fifth petition, leads us to the all-inclusiveness of the gospel of the kingdom. Previously, Jesus taught us to pray for the physical things that are needed to survive. Now he addresses the need for forgiveness so that we can live the abundant and free life he intended. Starving people need the gospel to be preached to them, but first they need food. Once we have the means of physical survival, forgiveness is our greatest need. For as Pilgrim discovered, forgiveness frees us from our great burden of guilt. 
During Jesus' earthly ministry, the rabbis taught that sin was a debt, like a demerit in our account with God that separated us from Him. Debt is translated as sin, trespass, or failure in various versions. Jesus was teaching His listeners to approach the Father and ask Him to remove the debt, to simply overlook or forgive it. For first-century Jewish listeners, this was a whole new way of understanding their relationship with God. This petition encourages us to keep very short accounts with the Lord and to experience His cleansing and freedom. This prayer is a daily celebration of His grace that keeps us close to Him and our hearts tender. May we cry out like King David, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Again, we are confronted with the implications of this being a prayer on behalf of us. Increasingly, this has led me into a new place of identificational repentance. Like Daniel in Babylon in chapter 9, I find myself identifying with the debts of the world and the church, aware that I am not above those sins in my own life. As we also have forgiven our debtors, Jesus reminds us of our privilege of access to the Father before he reminds us of our responsibility to forgive others. Freely you've received, freely give. It is in our experience of receiving the Father's forgiveness that we at a heart level find grace and joy to forgive others who have failed us. When we find ourselves able to forgive others, it is evidence that God's forgiveness is truly at work in us, that we really are being changed by His Spirit into the likeness of His Son. This discovery should be a great encouragement to us. Immediately following the Lord's Prayer, Jesus takes us back to the issue of forgiveness, saying, For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. This is not to be understood as an expression of a spiteful God who, if we displease Him, withholds His forgiveness. Rather, it touches upon a much deeper truth about the nature of the cosmos. All of creation reflects the nature of the Creator. As such, I am convinced the movement of the cosmos is always in the direction of love, mercy, compassion, and forgiveness. When we choose not to forgive, God does not punish us for that. However, our decision moves us away from, and indeed in the opposite direction of, His mercy and forgiveness. Our decision to withhold forgiveness simply puts us in a place where His grace is not at work. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is community. That is His movement in creation. Forgiveness and mercy always bring us closer to others. They are the mark of true community. Judgment always pushes us apart. This fifth petition is a prayer for healthy relationships, for God to form among us a community of grace. It reminds us of our weaknesses, sins, and failings. 
and it calls us up to a place of forgiveness and grace with everyone we encounter. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Father, I'm here before you, acutely aware of my own sin and failure. In your endless mercy, wash me clean today. Make everything new today. Lift my sin, my debt from me. Thank you that as soon as I turn to you, I am greeted by your total forgiveness and with your loving embrace. This is the great and ultimate truth. You are love and you love me. Thank you for the gift of forgiveness. Thank you for the freedom and joy that awaits me whenever I turn to you in repentance. Jesus, only because of you, I am free indeed. Today, let me live in the truth of your complete forgiveness. And let that be what I give away to others. I ask you to give me your gift of grace. To not only forgive, but to do so with great joy and a desire to truly bless any who sin against me today. Walking in the experience and deep knowledge of your forgiveness today will protect me from offense or hurt. I desire to follow your footsteps of healing, mercy, and grace. Today to move in the direction of your eternal kingdom. All is grace. All is grace. Part 8 And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Our most natural starting point in prayer is often, Lord, I need you to guide and protect me. But in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus puts this last. His priorities seem to be different than ours. First, he addresses a right understanding of who he is and a right relationship with him. Then, a desire to see his kingdom come in our hearts and in the world, and a longing that he would return soon. A deep concern for the world's needs, especially the poor and the hungry. To deal with our past and present guilt, and then to live in mutual forgiveness with others. Only then does Jesus address our need for protection and guidance. Examined closely, the Lord's Prayer teaches us right priorities. The final petition can be translated, Do not let us be led. To be led into something is to come under its influence. Paul wrote that we are in the world, but not of it. We will walk through places and times of temptation, but we pray that neither we nor the church will ever come under the power of them. As the Apostle James clearly teaches, the Lord can never tempt us, so what does this prayer mean? When we pray, do not let us be led, we are saying to the Lord, don't let us go to the place of temptation. We are asking him to protect us from the power of temptation and to lead us away in another direction. Over the years, I've prayed this as, Father, keep me. Protect me from the place of temptation. It is interesting that Paul never told the church to resist temptation. He said, flee 
For all these years, the Lord has been so faithful to answer my prayer. Again, His grace is powerfully released in our lives through this petition. But deliver us from the evil one. The word for deliver is very strong in the original Greek. It means literally to snatch away. We have a very real enemy who is constantly trying to draw us away from the path set before us by the triune God. Only the Lord's more powerful snatching or rescuing can free us from destruction. When we are honest in our failures and sin, which is the fifth petition, it leads us to a very honest place regarding our weaknesses and vulnerabilities. The majority of translations recognize that evil is supernatural and personal evil, hence the evil one. Jesus takes the evil one very seriously. This is obvious by how the Lord's Prayer ends. If temptation is a pit into which we fall, then the evil one is the power whose influence draws us into that pit. We are not praying for our private lives. We are praying for the church. Again, note us. We are praying with care and concern for one another. We are recognizing our corporate need for protection and guidance. We must take temptation and falling into sin very seriously. After more than 42 years as a leader and member of the church, I recognize this more than ever. Paul warned the church in Corinth, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And so this magnificent prayer straight from the heart of Christ finishes with a warning. Apart from God's supernatural help, we cannot avoid the trap of temptation or the snares of our enemy. We finish with a sober reminder of our need for His grace. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, you know how much I need your protection. My flesh so easily turns toward temptation. Keep me away from the places that tempt me. In your mercy and great power, set a hedge of fire around me. Give me discernment in the moment so that I recognize temptation and spiritual attack. Always lead me to a place of escape. Quicken my mind and my conscience. Father, I do not pray for myself alone, but for all your children. I pray for my friends and my family. I pray for my church. We need your great grace to keep us from corporate sin, to protect us from all kinds of temptations, pride, control, self-protection, all those things that so easily snare us. And Lord, snatch me out of the grasp of the evil one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I pray this for all of my family, my children, and my grandchildren. Deliver us all from our very real enemy who sometimes comes to us like a roaring lion seeking to terrify and devour, and other times with the cunning of a serpent. Only you can protect us. We confess our great need of you. 
We declare that we live under the protection of the Most High. We belong to you. I am yours and you are mine. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate me from you. Nothing. Some final thoughts. The Lord's Prayer encompasses everything important for life. It reveals Jesus' priorities in prayer. These are prayers according to the will of the Father. Therefore, we can pray them with confidence that we will surely be heard. There is immense spiritual power in this prayer, much of it yet to be tapped. Through this prayer, we can be co-laborers, even co-creators with God, calling into being those things which are not as though they were. We can affect history. Through this prayer, we can contribute to the feeding of billions of desperately hungry people. We are empowered to ask for the forgiveness of sins, not just for us, but for many. We can pray and affect the quality of our life together as the church. Through this prayer, we can facilitate the rescue of ourselves and the church from the dangers of the evil one. These are great privileges that we must take seriously. Such prayer is not a religious activity. It is a powerful force, releasing the purposes of God into his creation. However we engage in the Lord's Prayer, whether it is a focus of meditation or an outline to guide our prayer life, we are invited by the Lord to participate with him, confident that he hears us and joins us in our engagement in this remarkable prayer, which has been given to us as a great gift from him. Thank you, Lord. To receive a written version of this book, you can find it at impactnations.com slash when you pray. Before we leave you, I'd like to remind you of our upcoming journey of compassion to Haiti on April 28th. Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Routinely hit by violent hurricanes, its people are crying out for restoration and hope. Will you join us as we bring the reality of the kingdom of God to a desperate people? To learn more about this journey, visit impactnations.com slash Haiti. The Impact Nations podcast has a growing audience reaching people all over the world. If you're excited about the podcast and our efforts to rescue lives, please tell your friends to subscribe at impactnations.com slash podcast. Thanks and have a great week.